Well, if you have a Bible, you can open to Psalm 82, or the text is just there on the next page of the bulletin to follow along. Um, So life in this world is often characterized by waiting, waiting for God to come, uh, waiting for God to come make himself known to us and to save us, waiting for the fulfillment of our hopes and our longings, waiting for things that are uh, wrong to be made right when God comes. The Christian can cry out to God very personally how long, not just generically God, generically Lord, but how long Yahweh, using his personal name, he invites us to call on him that way, uh, very personally. How long, O Yahweh? How long until you come? How long until you act? Uh, The church can cry out to God together how long? Uh, To be bound together in our hope and in our prayer. And so we're taking some time this Advent season to learn uh, some of these how long cries from the Psalms. Uh, We have to learn how to relate to God through these Psalms uh, in Christ. We have to learn how to hear the voice of Christ in these Psalms. We have to learn how these Psalms find their fulfillment in Jesus, how we can pray these Psalms along with Jesus. So uh, this morning, we're looking at a psalm that laments injustice and corruption in the world. So we live in a world that's filled with injustices. Uh, The world's systems of justice are corrupt. Those who need justice most desperately are those who are least likely to get it in this life. So we need God to come and be our judge and to make things right in his righteous presence. Our longing for justice must be a longing for the advent, the arrival of the the true judge himself. So we will consider how the coming of Jesus Christ is God's answer to injustice. Uh, So that's what we'll talk about this morning. Let me pray first, then we'll read the psalm. Father, your ways and your thoughts are vastly higher than ours, as high as the heavens are above the earth. So we pray that you'd give us your spirit as we consider your word so that we can know your ways so we can know your thoughts, so we can know your mind, even as you do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A Psalm of Asaph. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods, son of the most high, all of you. Nevertheless, like Adam, you shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth. For you shall inherit all the nations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So in our Advent series so far, we've looked at Psalm 13. And it's a lament where the sufferer cries out to God, how long? And we've looked at Psalm 35, which is an imprecatory psalm, prayed sort of in the circumstances of having uh, difficulties with enemies. Where again, the sufferer cries out to God, how long? But who's crying out here, how long, in Psalm 82? It's God. God is the one crying out for 
justice. God longs to see justice done among his people in the world. God howls. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? So who's God talking to? Uh, Well, that part is a matter for debate. It's uh, not obvious to everyone, so we'll have to do a little bit of work to understand it. Start with verse 1. It says, God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. So God is talking to the gods who are in the divine council. And literally, the the words, the divine council, it's, um, that word for council is assembly or congregation. And uh, it's the, the assembly or congregation of El. And so the, the Hebrew word El can be a generic term for God or it can mean uh, the mighty, the powerful. So God is standing in the assembly of God or in the congregation of the mighty. It's the council or the corporate body of those who are named after him, uh, who are like him in some sense. And he's the one holding judgment. In this assembly, God is not among his peers. The Most High God has no peers. He is the one who is judging, actually judging this assembly. So whoever makes up this assembly, and it sounds like they've been given an incredible privilege and authority. It's the authority to judge that's been committed to them. That's implicit when God uh, says that he judges them for their failure as judges because they have judged unjustly. When they should have given justice to the weak and the needy and so forth. So this assembly has been given the divine privilege and authority to judge alongside of God, to share in his judgment, his divine judgment. So the glory of this privilege is even clearer in verse 6 where God says, I said you are God's. Sons of the Most High, all of you. So, to whom is God speaking? Who's in this congregation? To whom is given this privilege of sharing in divine judgment? Whom does God call gods and sons of the Most High? Uh, Some think that he's addressing a council of angels, but to quote the author of Hebrews, to which of the angels did God ever say, you're my son? So again, whom does God call Sons of the Most High. He calls his people his own sons. He says he's a father to his people. He says that throughout the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. Uh, Sometimes he's more specific, and he calls the ruler and representative of his people his son. So, for example, in Psalm 2, God addresses the king of Israel and says, You are my son, which is what the author of Hebrews is quoting from. And in 2 Samuel 7, God tells David, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I'll establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for my name, and I'll establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I'll be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. So it's the, the human ruler of God's people. God calls his son. And so if, if he's the ruler and representative of God's people, that's, who, that's who's called God's son. Then it means all God's people are sons of the Most High. And that's the kind of language we find in the Old Testament. And as sons of God, then, his people are in some sense called gods or divine. Uh, maybe not with attributes like omnipresence or omniscience, but maybe with more important attributes. And our... His people are given the divine privilege and authority to judge alongside God, 
to share in his divine judgment, to execute divine justice in the world. So Jesus himself interprets the psalm this way. He says in John 10 that God called them gods to whom the word of God came. So we've done a bit of work to get to this point. Let me just state it simply. The divine council, the congregation of God, the judges among whom God is standing as the supreme judge, these are his chosen people in the world. Maybe in particular those who are rulers or representatives of his people, who are granted authority to exercise judgment on his behalf. There really is no greater privilege conceivable uh, than to rule and to execute true justice alongside God in his divine counsel. And in some sense, this is the privilege he's given to all his people who bear his image. As early as the first chapter of the Bible, we see God granting this privilege, this divine privilege to humanity, inviting us to rule alongside him over everything he's made. But probably this psalm is focusing on the particular uh, sort of manifestation of authority that the leaders of his people are meant to exercise. And in this psalm of Asaph, God is lamenting their failure as unjust judges. The failure of the leaders of his people as unjust judges. So 1 Chronicles 16, you find that Asaph, uh, just to explain a little bit about him, he'd been appointed by David to be the chief Levite minister before the ark in the tabernacle uh, to invoke and thank and praise Yahweh, the God of Israel. He's named as the author of 12 psalms, uh, several of which have to do with God's judgment. And in this psalm, God is judging the judges among his people. He's declaring that their judgment is unjust and corrupt. The leaders of God's people were meant to, as we find in verse 3 and 4, meant to give justice to the weak and the fatherless and maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. They're meant to rescue the weak and the needy and deliver them from the hand of the wicked. So the judges among God's people, the leaders of God's people, they're not meant to simply enjoy for themselves a privileged status. They're meant to judge with God's own righteous judgment because of their special relationship with God, because they know God. They should know that God advocates for the weak and the orphan and the afflicted and the needy. They should know that God regards the lowly and that he defends the cause of the poor and that he delivers the needy and crushes the oppressor. They should know that God has an important relationship with the poor. That God says that how we treat the poor is connected to how we treat him. It says in Proverbs 14, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. God relates to the weak and to the afflicted, to those who suffer injustice. And here he cries out to his people, to the leaders of his people, how long will you judge unjustly? They were meant to display God's righteousness. They were meant to bear witness to God's justice through the way that they exercised judgment. In Deuteronomy 4, Moses told the people of God, See, I've taught you statutes and rules as Yahweh my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you're entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who... When they hear all these statutes, will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as Yahweh our God is to us? 
whenever we call upon him. And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I've set before you today? So God's law, which is given to his people, is a glorious revelation of his character. And the nations were meant to be able to look at God's people and to see true justice and to see good judgment being done among them and to be drawn then to the God who's behind it all. But, you know, the history of God's people has been shot through with corruption and abuse of authority. This is a prophetic psalm, uh, very similar to the writings of the prophets who proclaimed the judgment of God upon the injustices of his people. You know, the writings of the prophets are an expansion of this. What we have here is a courtroom scene. The supreme judge standing in the midst of the assembly of his people, bringing his indictments against those who were meant to share in his just judgments. They were supposed to live as if they knew God, but in verse 5, they have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. So their corruption had made them blind to God and to his ways, which then undermined the true foundations of justice among his people. It's just as God had warned his people in Exodus 23, He said, you shall not pervert the justice due to your poor in his lawsuit. Keep far from a false charge and do not kill the innocent and righteous, for I will not acquit the wicked. And you shall take no bribe, for a bribe blinds the clear-sighted and subverts the cause of those who are in the right. So the kind of wickedness and uh, corruption that, honestly, you expect to see among the nations was to find no place at all among the people of God. But injustices abounded, and so we hear God's cry of lament. We hear God howling, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? And we are invited to join God in this lament, in in his howling, by taking up this psalm and praying it as his people. God is the one who is speaking in this psalm. But it is written so that we can join him, the just judge, in his longing for true justice to be done among his people. Why does God care about this so much? I mean, we sometimes have a hard time crying out like this. Because it admits our lack of control of the circumstances in our lives, uh, we can easily be too embarrassed to howl like this because we're too self-conscious. We worry what others would think about us. How could God lead us in a cry like this? Does it really matter so much to him that he would howl like this? God is not ashamed to be found among us, to identify with us, to lead us, even through cries and howls of longing like this. Uh, Tim Keller gets to the heart of it very well when he talks about this psalm. He has a book of uh, sort of daily readings through the psalms. And on Psalm 82, he says, God is intensely concerned for the weak, the orphaned, the poor, and the powerless. God is committed to justice because remarkably, he identifies with the poor. To oppress the poor is to disdain him. 
Only in Jesus Christ do we learn just how far God would go to identify with the poor and oppressed. He became a poor human being who died on the cross, a victim of human injustice. God cried out, how long will you judge unjustly? He cried out to human rulers and representatives among his people. He demands an answer from humans who are supposed to be righteous judges, but no human can give an answer. No human could stand before the judge and deliver true justice. God had a longing for humanity to do justice, and it was a longing that no one could fulfill except for him. And so the psalm prays, Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. God alone is the just judge. So the fulfillment of this psalm's cry for justice is found in his coming. It's found in his arrival, in his divine advent. Yet he demands justice from us, from a human who rules and represents his people, who relates to those who need God's justice, who executes God's justice on God's behalf. The true son of the Most High, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the only one who fulfills divine justice as a human. The only one who satisfies the longing of God, the only one who answers the cries of God, the cries also of those who join God in howling this psalm. When Jesus came into the world, the, the leaders, the political and religious leaders among God's people were as corrupt as ever. They oppressed the poor and needy. They tied up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and placed them on the people. They looked to maintain their own power through the abuse of their power. They despised the weak and the needy. And they showed partiality toward others who did the same, despising the weak and the needy. They had a real nice system going where the wicked mutually reinforced each other's positions at the expense of the weak and needy. And when Jesus came identifying with the weak and needy, a poor homeless man of humble origins, claiming to be the beloved son of God and exercising divine judgment, the leaders among God's people made a mockery of justice. They mustered false witnesses against him and delivered him into the hands, not from the hands, but into the hands of the wicked for crucifixion. God cried out for justice, and he was only answered with the greatest injustice. God came to do something about the unjust judges ruling his people, and surprisingly that meant suffering and dying at their hands. But somehow in all of this, God's judgment was accomplished. Somehow at the cross, God stood in the assembly of the mighty And his indictment and his judgment went forth, even as he suffered the worst corruption of human justice, the innocent one dying a criminal's death among criminals. Somehow at the cross, the true human judge gave true justice to the weak and the fatherless. He maintained the right of the afflicted and the destitute. He rescued the weak and needy and delivered them from the hand of the wicked, even as the wicked abused him and took him out and tightened their stranglehold on the weak and the needy. Somehow, at the cross, 
God took up the role of both the weak and the rescuer. Of both the needy and the deliverer. Of both the condemned and the judge. Of both God's people and God himself. Somehow at the cross, God howled for justice and God brought justice. And we know this God in Jesus Christ. Arise, O God, judge of the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. Well, the Lord Jesus has risen. And all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to the Lord Jesus, and he has inherited all the nations. And because we know him, and because we have a relationship with him, because we're his people and he's our ruler and our representative, if all authority has been given to him on our behalf, what does that mean? It means that all authority has been given to us in him. Authority to exercise God's good judgment right alongside him, to share in divine judgment. The reflection of God's judgment in human judgment has been renewed in Jesus, and it's been renewed for us in him. The supreme judge still stands in the midst of the congregation of judges. We see that several times in the the revelation of Jesus Christ, the final book of the scriptures, in the visions of the heavenly courtroom, thrones arranged around the throne. And John says, I saw thrones and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Jesus has committed to us the authority to judge. In the Gospels, Jesus gives us the keys of the kingdom, and he says that we're to decide on matters of sin and forgiveness in the church. We're to make judgments. He says in Matthew 18, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it'll be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So the risen Lord Jesus gives us also his own spirit to exercise his own good judgment. In John chapter 20, after the resurrection, Jesus says to the disciples, As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it's withheld. So God cries for justice, and he invites us to cry with him. And at the cross, God accomplishes justice, delivering his people from the ultimate oppression of sin and death. And he invites us to extend the justice of the cross to others, to judge without corruption, without partiality, without favoritism, to declare the good news of freedom and forgiveness in the name of the judge. And so James, uh, the brother of Jesus, wrote in our New Testament reading at Ransom Read, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, You sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, You stand over there, or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? 
Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he's promised to those who love him? God has identified with the poor and the oppressed, with those who suffer injustice at the hands of the rich and powerful. God has identified with you. So if you would identify with him, then you must also identify with the poor and oppressed. You must welcome them and give attention to them. You must care for them and honor them and serve them. In the name of Jesus Christ, the judge of all the earth. Can you hear the voice of Jesus in this psalm? Can you hear how this psalm is fulfilled in him? Can you pray this psalm with him? Then in him you've been granted the privilege of the sons of the Most High, the privilege of sharing in God's own righteous judgment. So let this church be a divine council where his justice is on display for the nations to see and be drawn to the one who's the foundation of all true justice. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you've given us this psalm not just to reveal your own heart to us, but so that we might join you in the cries of your heart. And you've given us your son, Jesus Christ, that we might be seated with him on thrones around your throne and his throne. We pray that you'd give us your spirit, give us repentance so that we might turn away from corruption and partiality and injustice to turn to Jesus and to your true justice and righteousness in him. Help us to live according to our knowledge of you and our relationship with you the one who's identified with the weak and the needy. Arise, O God, and judge the earth. Come, Lord Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.